and with you. Ahab and Jezebel were two prominent leaders of the day and they had misled the children of Israel to the point that they were worshiping false gods. There was confusion in the land of Israel. The people of Israel, which God to serve? Whether it be the God Jehovah, right? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of these descendants. Or whether to serve these false gods, this God Baal. And this was kind of happening at the time. They were, they were such confusion there. And God had had enough. And he uses one of his prophets, Elijah, here to speak to the children of Israel and draw a line in the sand. So we pick up in chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. You see, if you read chapter 18, you'll see where the true God was proven, which was our God, and how the false God of Baal had been disproven. And how God told Elijah to wipe out all these false prophets, 450 of them, to wipe them out and don't let them live because God knows that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, right? Which teaches us we've got to get all the sin out of our lives, not part of it, but all of it. Amen? And so because of what had happened here, Ahab runs back and tells Jezebel what Elijah had done to the prophets of Baal, how he had slain them, killed every one of them. And so that's where we're at in verse 1. Then Jezebel in verse 2 sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods, not capital God, gods, these false gods, do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said, Because you have killed these prophets, my prophets, these false, these prophets of this false God, she said, if I, she said I'm going to do the same to you by this time tomorrow, or these gods do the same to me as you did to those other prophets. And when he, speaking of Elijah, saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, I want you to see verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough. One particular translation says, it is enough with an excited mark says it with emphasism, I have had enough. Amen. It is enough. Now he says, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I've had enough. you got to end this thing. I've had just about all I can take, all I can stand. Amen. This is what Elijah is saying. I'm sorry. Yeah, Elijah is saying to God. You ever been in a, in a season in your life when Everything was going just wonderfully, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's like, it's like someone just moved this mountain that you were standing on, right? You're standing on the peak of the mountaintop. I mean, you're breathing the fresh air. You see the beautiful blue sky. You see the beautiful scenery around you, right? You're, you're standing on firm foundation. Life is just wonderful. Everything is going great. You're in a season in your life when all that's happening. You ever been there? Raise your hand if you have. Meaning life is just utopia, right? It couldn't get any better, right? If it got any better, what do we say? I couldn't stand it, right? I'm finer than frog hair split. Y'all ain't been where I was raised where I was raised. I hear it all the time. I'm finer, finer than frog hair split three ways, right? 
everything is great. I've also been around some people where I knew that it wasn't as great as they said, but bless them, they said, yes, everything is wonderful, right? I've been around some of those folks too. Inside, I'm going, bless you, I know, I know. We're all in the same life. But we've been at that mountaintop, that pinnacle, right, that place where we're like, God, don't let nothing move me from right here. Is that right? I, I so thought about this, not in, not in this context with the message, but I was thinking about Brother Salty and CR the other night and how the Lord moved, and that's one of them utopia moments, right, Brother Salty, where you, you just like, I don't want to leave, right? Don't, I'm not leaving here, God. I'm going to stay right here because you just love that moment, right? We've all been there with God, right? But then all of a sudden, life, you're just kind of Cadillacing, right? You're just kind of in, you're in um, autopilot mode, right? You're not even having to think about it, right? It's just like God's doing everything for you. You step to the left, $10,000 hits you in the, in the foot, right? You step to the right, and it's banana pudding. You back up, right, and you get a $10 raise at work. You go forward, and somebody buys you a new house, and you're like, man, what's going on, right? And then you go to church, and the preacher's preaching on, if you'll just be obedient to God, the blessings will rain down. And you're like, yes, I'm being obedient. And you're like, I got to be more obedient, Right, and so you start being more, so everything's just great. This is where Elijah was. Elijah was a prophet of God. Now, contrary to what most people believe, it is an honor to be called by God. It is an honor that he chose you as a leader, as a person, right? Any of us in this room to be called by God, to be saved, to be called by God, to teach, to lead, to preach, whatever it may be. Elijah was one of those guys that understood how important it was to carry out his work for the Lord. He had been called a prophet of God, right? He understood that. And man, life was good for Elijah. And he was in a, in a moment, a season in his life where God was using him mightily, right, to prove how awesome God is, right? I've been there too. You've probably been there too where God chose you in a specific moment, a specific opportunity or season to just just, just show forth God's praise. You ever been there? To show forth his glory. He might have used you in a moment where you led somebody to Christ. He might have used you in a moment where you helped pray for somebody who was just falling apart, right? And you helped restore them to God. Whatever it might have been. He might have used you, right, to heal, lay hands on somebody they recovered. But we've all had those moments. Elijah was in this moment. He was on the mountaintop. Everything was great. It was utopia. God was using him right here in chapter 18 to prove his greatness right and he, he gets out there you know the story right and, and he gets these 450 prophets of Baal he has the entire kingdom of Israel out there watching right and he says today is the day enough is enough we're going to prove today who is the true and real God right and then the 450 prophets of Baal make this altar you know how it goes and he said y'all start first and they call out to this false God and nothing happened and Elijah mocks him and says he must be you know what he said sleeping resting all these things and they kept doing whatever and whatever, and it went on for hours and nothing happened. And then Elijah jumps out there, and he rebuilds the altar, soaks it with water, right, three different times, rebuilds it, puts the offering there, calls on God. You know the story. God comes down, right, just, just with, with a fire, licks it all up, everything that was there, water and all, and it's gone. And God uses him to prove that God is the true God. And can't you just imagine Elijah standing there with his chest out, spiritually speaking, Yes, that's my God, amen. Just standing there, the children of Israel that have been so confused for so long, worshiping these different gods, unsure who they're supposed to worship, many times, many days, worshiping both gods, amen. 
worshiping the God of Jehovah, worshiping the God of Baal, right? Worshiping the different ones because they really didn't know. And hey, can we all just get along, coexist? Isn't that right? So they were kind of just doing both. And now they see the true God. And Elijah's like, I hope your eyes are open. And these 450 prophets of Baal are standing there like, uh-oh, right? And they just thought they was going to get away with it. And God says, I want you to grab a hold of every one of them. And they laid hands on those 450. And they weren't praying for them. They laid hands on them and they destroyed all 450 of them, right? So Elijah, man, could you imagine being used like that? You're standing and you watch fire just go, whoom, right down in front of you, right? And it just sucks everything up. And then the dust, even the dust, it said, he sucked it up and bang, it went back up. And you could just be standing there going, I can imagine Elijah looking at all them going, what's you going to do now, right? You want me to do, get him to do it again, right? He was feeling it. I've been in those services, right, when you've seen that happen. And he was on the mountaintop. But I've also, before I get to what happens to him next, I've also been there myself, and, I, and, and let me give you an analogy of what's about to happen next to Elijah. I was traveling, the, the company I used to be a part of prior to this company, I only worked two places in my life, other than my dad, you can't count that, that was just, that was just uh, child labor. <laughs> if you're watching, Dad, you know it was. So, um, um, so I would have to travel a good bit, and one of the places I would go quite often is into West Virginia. And in West Virginia, there's a lot of mountains, and they do a lot of coal mining in West Virginia. A lot of coal mining, a lot of natural gas mining. So I'm going up through here many, two or three different years, and, and you know how you do when you get going the same path every time, you get used to certain landmarks. And so I was getting close to where I knew I was supposed to go on this particular trip, and I, and I looked and I thought, I've made a wrong turn. I'm not where I'm supposed to be right here. I mean, what The scenery had changed in my mind, I'm thinking, I know this is where I'm supposed to be because I can see the, this is, I didn't have GPS then, y'all. It was just a map. Anybody know what an Atlas map is? <laughs> Praise God, we got some folks. I ain't the only old guy in the building. But I, but I remember the, the road marks, and I remember where I was supposed to be, and so I knew I was on the right road, but my mind was tricking me saying, no, 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 you're in the wrong place because what I was used to seeing, well, I wasn't seeing anymore. See, there was a mountain. It was one of the tallest ones in that area, and so it was kind of set down in a, like you had a mountain here and a mountain here, and you had this one big tall one, and it just had, a, you just, it's hard to me explain it, but it had a distinct look to it, okay? So I knew when I got in a certain area in that road, I could see it, and I knew I wasn't far from where I was supposed to be to the, to the plant I was going to. But when I got to that spot, it wasn't there. I thought, what is, the, and I'd never heard of strip mining. Anybody ever heard of that? I've always heard of where you tunnel into the mountain, and you get in there and you get the coal out, right? You tunnel into the mountain. But I've never heard of strip mining. So let me educate some of y'all what that means, if you don't know like I didn't know. What they do is they take the top of the mountain off, which is the, which is the topsoil, and they keep going down until they hit the, the, the coal bed. They take all that stuff, because the state of Virginia requires them, you got to take all that, set it to the side. Then you, what they do is they basically just start stripping the coal off this way. They take it down until they quit running into coal. When they get out of the coal vein, they stop. Then they go back and get all the topsoil. They put it back on it because they're required to do that. They can't just leave it like that anymore. And then they make a little small mountain. That's what happened. I came up there, and the big mountain was gone, and it was a bump. I thought, what happened? Right? The mountain was there, and now it's a sand hill. I didn't. It's, I didn't know what happened, so I was educated on that. That's what happens to Elijah here between chapter 18 and chapter 19. He is standing on top of the mountain, and then somebody just strips the mountain out from underneath him, and he's standing on a little old anthill. Okay? 
he was there. He was in a place with God. Man, when life was going on just wonderfully. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this lady sends him a note saying, I'm going to kill you for what you've done. Now we see this, the letter being sent, but what we don't see is the torment that followed. Because Jezebel was relentless. She was one of those ladies that she wasn't going to just tell you one time. I'm sure she probably sent word to Elijah multiple times. Everywhere he went, he was probably hearing, ooh, you know who's after you? Word on the street is, the T is, amen? The T, that, that this woman is going to kill you. She's got some folks looking. For, there is a mob, after, there is a price on your head. Right? So it is here, everywhere he went, he was feeling the pressure of that, right? Knowing that this lady is after him. And he gets to God here in chapter 19 and he said, I've had enough. This is too much, right? This work is just too much. This, this, this God stuff, this working for you, Lord, this is just, I've had right here, right? It's just not worth it, right? I'm not getting paid enough. You know, my vacation, I need another week's vacation. My package ain't good enough for what's happening. This is too much stress. So he just says, I've had enough. I've had enough. And then he just begs God. He said, well, won't you just kill me? Right? Just get me out of here because what's, I know what's waiting on me and it's far better than what's right here. You ever been in a place where God, well, man, when it was utopia and then all of a sudden somebody pulled the rug out from underneath you and you find yourself in that position looking up going, what happened, God? And this is too much and can you just take me home? You ever been there? I'm the only one in the building, but just work with me. I've been there many, many times. Recently been there. All of us have been there, right? It's just, this is too much. It's too much. It's not worth it. And he says, just come get me, Lord. Come get me. And I want to look at this story here because I think it's just beautiful as you get down in here. Chapter 19, let's pick it up in verse 5. I'm going to read it through 12 and I'll get right into the, what, the points that uh, God has for us here tonight. So verse 5, now that you got the story and the backstory. Now that you know what uh, Elijah's request is, his package. Now he didn't even know where in the King James. He says in verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, broom tree, one translation says, Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came in verse 7 again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. Now, before we get into this, the message itself, and I read these last few verses here, the journey is too, is too great for any of us. Amen? This journey that we're on is too great for any of us to walk it by ourselves. Amen? You've got to have God in your corner. I'm not going to lie to you today and tell you that life is simple. Life is tough. Amen? It is. It is tough. Life itself is difficult because we live in a sinful world. The beauty of it is that God said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. The beauty is that God's with us and in us, about us, around us. He is our strength and our shield and our buckler, right? He is what keeps us going. He is our joy, right? Being a Christian is joy, but we live in a fallen world, and it is difficult. Amen? It is difficult. The journey is too tough for us by ourselves. This angel was dispatched to go and to minister to Elijah which also fulfills the passage that says, an angel of the Lord encampeth around about those who fear him, right? 
God will always be there. He will always be there to minister unto us. Just like the angels came and ministered unto Christ, they're there for you and I, right? God uses heavenly angels, earthly angels, people, right, that he chooses to bless us and to help us. The journey is not easy by yourself, right? It's not easy. It's too great. Verse 8 said, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, which is the mountain of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and seek, uh, and they seek my life, rather, to take it away from me. I've been very jealous for you, Lord, to the point that I've stood up for you, right? Because the children of Israel wasn't doing what they're supposed to do. I stood up for you, and I proved that you were right. You're going to find here that God's going to remind Elijah that he didn't do anything. God did it. Amen? God did it. Elijah here was having a little pity party and telling God of all the things he had done, you know, for God. And uh, God ain't going to have it. So let's look at it. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold... The Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and broke it in pieces in the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah here had hid himself in a cave. He hid there not because he was wanting to just take a break. He was hid there because he was fearful of his life. He was needing a little sabbatical, right? He was walking away from God for a moment, trying to hide from hurt, hiding from God. He just needed a break, right? And when God found him, he just told the Lord, well, I'm just here because, you know, (laughs) uh, these people are tough and I'm tired of dealing with them and and, uh, I tried to stand up and now they're just going to kill me, right? And so God tells him to get up and he says, I want you to come forth and stand upon the mountain. The reason why the title of this message is when God moves is because when we have enough, when it becomes enough, God's going to move. Amen? When it becomes too much in your life, God will move. That's a promise. I promise you God will move. But we also got to do our part, right? You got to do what God tells us to do. The first thing that he tells him right here in verse 11 is to go out and stand on the mountain before God. In other words, if I'd have said it this way, if I was translating for God, Pick, up, pick yourself up, get out of your misery, and stand on that solid rock that you know is Christ. Amen? That's why he told him to go out and stand on the mountain. He said, I want you to get up, and I want you to get out of this cave, which represents your misery. It's dark, it's damp, there's nobody here, you're by yourself, it's just miserable. Get up, get out of your misery, and stand on the mountain. Stand on the rock. Amen? If we're going to see God move, if we want God to move, right, I learned this here recently. I've been learning it for years. We've got to get up, right? We've got to step out, and we've got to remember that God is God. We've got to remember that, right? These things are going to come our way, but it's, there's nothing you and I can do but stand there, do our very best, and let God do what he's going to do. But I think it's so important. The very first thing he said was get up and stand on that solid rock, right? Yes, all this has happened. You were on top of the mountain. Everything was going great. Somebody moved the mountain. I get it, Elijah. 
But that was a physical mountain, but Christ hasn't moved. God has not moved. What, 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 where your foundation is, is not built upon what just happened at church on Sunday. Listen to me very closely. A lot of Christians build their faith based upon moments. Is that right? We be, our faith is built upon moments. In fact, some people go to church and if they don't feel a little bit of some cold chills, they think something's wrong with them. Amen? You ever anybody say, well, I went to church, I just can't feel nothing no more. That's what people say when you base your relationship with Christ on emotions. Our relationship with Christ is not based on emotions. Our relationship with Christ is based on a relationship. You know him, he knows you, right? I accept you and he accepts me and that is our relationship. And if I, and if I, if, if I worship him the way he tells me to, right, and if I follow him the way he says, if I'm obedient to him, then yes, we are emotional people. God will move on us and we will be moved by our emotions. But our emotions aren't going to be what moves us. God moves us. Amen? And the emotion is the part that we feel. So if you're basing your relationship on emotion, it's going to be a short-lived relationship. Your relationship has to be built on something more than emotion. It has to be built on something more than just a church service. It has to be some people, if somebody's not running around the church and jumping over the pews, if somebody's not, you know what I'm saying. I've been around people like that for years where that's how they judge whether God was in the church. I judge if God's in the church by how many people are saved in the house of God. How many of them know who Jesus Christ is? How many of them have a relationship? How many of them, you see what I'm saying? That's what it's all about. And if you have a relationship, then God moves. Amen? If we've got Christ in our heart as individuals, and if all of us have him in our heart, and we come in here to worship him, then what you see is the residue. It's his reaction to your worship. But if you're not seeing that in church then we might want to check our worship. Amen? You with me? So I tell him, Brother Salty, I was so glad to hear how God moved in, 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 in our CR group. And that's what happened. Because they were in one mind and one accord and they were obedient to him and they were worshiping him, his reaction was blessings. Amen? When we do that, when we, when we line up with God and we're obedient to God, then the reaction is all that stuff we talk about. It's all the stuff we think church is. Right? That's just simply God's reaction to our worship. Amen? You see what I'm saying? This is where Elijah was. He was building his relationship with God based upon where he was on the mountain. When he was on the mountaintop, he was close to God. When he was in the cave, God wasn't nowhere around him. But God was letting him know, I'm God whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the cave, son. I'm God all the time. And you're going to see in a minute, he said, I'm not, I'm not God. Just because you see an earthquake in happening in church, right? Just because you feel the wind blow doesn't mean I'm in the wind. Right, we're going to look at it here in just a minute. But catch that. He tells him first and foremost, get up, right? Get out of your misery and stand on the solid rock. Amen? That's what it's built upon. Your relationship with Christ, your relationship with God is built on Christ, not emotion. Amen? Not on how you think the service should go, not how it went, not how eloquent your preacher is. It's your relationship with Christ. Amen? Too many people put too much pressure on church services based on their emotions and what they think it should be. Church is simply a relationship. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what he just said, but I think it's right. <laughs> I don't know what I said either, so don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> Secondly, in verse 11, you'll see, when we get ourselves into position, we can see God move. 
This is why he said to him, get out of the cave. Get out of the mountain. Get out of the cave. He was getting Elijah in a position to see him move. We're never going to see God move until we get ourselves in a position to see him move. Amen? You with me? Let me say it this way. When News Channel 4 says, tomorrow night is going to be a good night to watch such and such a comet fly by at about a certain time of the night, and you get excited thinking, hmm, can't wait to get out there and see, can't wait to see that. But if you never get yourself out on the porch in front, from the recliner to the porch, you're not going to see it move. Is that right? At all. You might hear somebody tell you about it, or you might wake up the next morning and catch it on, somebody might have caught it on camera, but unless you get yourself in position to see it, you're never going to see it move, right? And if you don't see it move in person, then it's hard to talk about it. You have to rely on what everybody else says. Come on, somebody. Listen to me, church. We have stayed in the cave too long. And what we're doing is sitting in the cave and we're, we're communicating to somebody else how God moves but it's based on what somebody else has told us because we ain't seen it, amen, because we're back in the cave. You with me? We're having to rely on News 4 to tell us what the comet looked like, and our best effort to tell somebody around the water cooler in the morning is, yeah, they tell me that it kind of went up, you know, right over there by, you know, this, this, uh, this star formation, and, and it had a blue tail on it, and it had a yellow whatever, but we're really just telling what we've heard. I don't know that none of it's true. Because I didn't see it, right? And so that's what happens a lot of times in church. What we're doing, what we're telling people about our church is what we're hearing other people say happened in church because we weren't in a position to see it. You, you, you with me? If we're going to see God move, we ourselves got to get in a position to see it. We cannot rely on somebody else stepping out there and saying, whoo, you should have seen what God did, Right? I should have been here on CR and I'd have known about it. I couldn't, I'm not going to stand try to tell you about it because I wasn't here, right? It's better felt than tilt. I can't tell you how it was because I wasn't feeling God move. I can tell you what I see in people's eyes and when the excitement in their heart, I know God moved, amen? And I'm excited. But for me to tell you how awesome it was, I'd be lying to you because I wasn't here. You see what I'm saying? So when you think about God moving here and you look at Elijah and where he was standing, he was here, now he's here, and God said, son, just get up and get out here. Let me show you myself. Let me show you who I truly am. It's not all them things you've always heard. It's so much more than that. Amen? So much more than that. Guys, if you get nothing out of this message tonight, understand that what you've heard about God is awesome, but there's so much more to God than that, and the only way to find out how awesome he is is to get to know him. Amen? Get to know him. Get out there. Get out on that ledge. Get out there out of your comfort zone, right? God told him, get out of the cave and stand on the mountain. Now, most of us know when you get out of a cave and you stand on the mountain, the next thing down a few feet is you're going to lose your ground, right? Because usually those caves are right on the edge of a mountain tide. So he told him to get out of his comfort zone and stand there. Just stand there. Now, if Elijah had never got up and walked out of that cave, he'd have never saw what happened next. And it prepared him for what was going to happen next. It propelled him to the next level in God as he begins to teach and mentor Elisha. So, number two, when we get ourselves into position, we then can truly see God. Amen? And see him move. 
Don't build your relationship on what somebody else has told you about God. You build it on a relationship that you and he has. Amen? Through Christ. You with me? Look at your neighbor and say, that was good too, and I don't know what he said. Build it upon your relationship. Get into position to see him move. Third, God is not in the destruction around you and I. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not in the destruction that's going on around us. So quit saying, why is God letting that happen? Right? We, we're so focused on the destruction around us that we can't see the hand of God move. Amen? Let me rephrase that. I am so worried about the destruction going around me in my life that I have missed the hand of God moving in my life. I have missed God's hand moving over the past three weeks and he's been moving mightily and I hadn't even seen it because I have been looking at the destruction in my life. Amen. Have you ever done that? You see what I'm saying? It's easy to look at what's going on around you, right? It's easy to watch, you know, hell take place over here. It's easy to watch the fires burning over here in Arizona, and they truly all need to pray for them, right? It's easy to watch the hurricanes that are happening on the East Coast. It's easy to watch the earthquakes happening in Guatemala. It's easy to watch what's happening in Iran and Iraq. It's easy to watch the Russians doing whatever they're doing in America. It's easy to watch all this stuff happening and miss the hand of God moving in our own lives. Amen? It's easy to watch that. But God is not in the destruction around you. God is right in front of you. In fact, God is in you. According to verse 11 and 12. Let's read it. And he said to him, once he got out on that ledge, if you will, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces and rocks before the Lord. Key here is the Lord went first, he moved by. After he was gone, the destruction of the mountain. Right? Most of us would be paying attention to the rocks falling and the mountain falling apart and miss God moved right in front of him. God shows him three different times right here, son. I walked right in front of you, but you didn't see me. You watched the rocks rent in front of you. Right? He's not in the destruction. He's in us and around us, okay? That's what we need to understand. The Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? God is for us. He is for us, right? He's not here to destroy us. God is not sitting back thinking, now how can I punish that fat preacher, right? How can I just blow his mind? God, contrary to belief, is trying to figure out how can I make sure this boy makes heaven his home? How can I show him I love him, right? All of us are waiting on God to just shake the heavens. Isn't that right? God, if you'll just flatten that church on 25, I'll quit drinking. I'm serious. Has anybody ever made a promise like that to God? If you will just, right? God, if you'll just let a, a, a windstorm blow them 25 pine trees over to the left, not to the right, snap them in half. Pile them up. I'll believe there's a God. Right? <laughs> we just want to see God just whoo. Isn't that right? And so many times, if God, don't, if God don't move that way, we don't think God's moving. It's almost like he's just got to destroy stuff before we think he's God. And we're going to focus that same way in our lives. We're going to look at all the destruction. We're going to look at, okay, God, I need you to just really do something here before I'm going to 
recognize you, and I'm going to see you, and I'm going to, all these things, right? He's not in the destruction. God don't have to do all those things. It's simple. Lord, forgive me. You want to see a move of God? You want to see, you, do you like, if you like earthquakes, just simply say this. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he will shake the foundation of your faith. You'll feel the greatest earthquake you've ever felt in your life. If destruction does it for you, do that. Amen? And you'll feel the mighty hand of God move in your life. Amen? You with me? He's not in the destruction. God's right in front of us and all around us. And he's all in us if we just look. Number four, if we acknowledge God, he will acknowledge us. Amen? Let me tell you about these other two first. He comes by in this great wind and rents the rocks in two and God's not in that. He comes along with an earthquake and God's not in that. He comes even as a fire. The Bible says God was not in that. I want to say one more thing because this is really cool and if you don't get it, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it anyway. God's not into all that stuff. We are. God's not into all that supernatural rock-breaking stuff. You know what God, you know what moves God? The love of his children. See what I'm saying? We're looking for God in all that supernatural. But all the while, the Bible says he's a still, small voice. Right? The voice that just speaks to my heart and to your heart. That's where God's at. Amen? If you get nothing else tonight, understand that in verse 12 and 13, when we acknowledge God, he will acknowledge us. He said this. After the earthquake in verse 12 and the fire, the Lord was not in them. And after the fire, of course, he wasn't in it, but a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entering of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, again, one more time, right? He asked him earlier, he's going to ask him again. Now, now Elijah, why are you here? Interesting that God asked him twice. The first time he said, son, why are you here? And Elijah kind of gives him the story that most of us would give. And then God reveals all this to him and then he asked him the second time, now Elijah, now that you've seen and now that you've heard, now tell me why you're here. Amen? When he gets down to brass taxes, God was getting, trying to get him to see it's not about emotion. It's not about how you, what you think should be me moving. It's all about me and you. And that's all that was there, guys. When Elijah stepped out of that cave, it was simply him and God. All that other stuff, the fire, the wind, the earthquake, all the stuff that you and I think of, church, it was just him and God. That's how God sees church. Amen? That's how he sees it. Now let me say this as a caveat. I love the supernatural. If God's doing it. Amen? If God's doing it, I'm all about it. And if we'll just be obedient to God and do what he asks us to do, we will see the fire of God come down as they saw in CR. Amen? It was obedience that caused that. We will see the supernatural moving of God. People healed. People recovered. People saved. 
blind eyes open, deaf ears open, right? We will see people come back to life. Greater, he said, things you and I would see in this latter church than the former, right? So there's greater things going to happen. But remember, that is just God's, that's God's, that, that's him moving based upon our worship, okay? The supernatural that we seek will happen if we seek the supernatural giver, Amen? That's what God was trying to get Elijah to see here. Elijah, man, he was loving the fire coming down from heaven. He was enjoying all this stuff God was doing. But the moment he didn't see that and all he heard was a small voice, he just thought, that's it. God's not here. Right? If we want to see God move, remember these things tonight. If you never hear another word I say to you, put your faith and trust in God. Amen? Don't build your relationship with God on emotion. Build it on an absolute relationship through Christ and build it and build that thing to the point that your obedience is so great, that your worship is so awesome that you see those things that you desire. Because the Bible teaches us to desire those things, but we should desire the one that gives them and not the things. Amen? Because when the rubber hits the pavement and you find yourself on top of that strip mine and not up here, you better have your relationship built on something other than emotion. Amen? Other than emotion. I want to pray with you. This is a wonderful message. I hope it came across the way that God revealed it to me. I tell people all the time, God gives me messages for me and I just get the privilege of giving them to you. But God is so awesome. He's so awesome and, and I just don't want us to belittle him Tonight, on little, I want us to make sure we understand how great God is. God's bigger than our situations. God's bigger than anything in our lives. And he wants to bless us if we'll just worship him. The greatest act of worship is giving your heart to him. Amen. It's the greatest act of worship. It's not raising your hands. It's not clapping your hands. It's not singing loud. It's not playing musical instruments. The greatest form of worship is accepting Jesus Christ. Because it says, I believe in you, God, enough to trust that what you tell me is true. I want to pray with you tonight. If you like me, I desire to see God move. Man, he's been moving in our church, and um, we are blessed beyond measure here at Gethsemane. I brag on us all the time. I was telling somebody today that, uh, you know, our, our services on Sundays are, you know, are anywhere from 100 to 170 people, which is, again, not a large church, but it's uh, 170 is all the chairs we could put in this little sanctuary. And when we were designing this church, we designed it thinking we were designing it for growth, but we highly underestimated God. And I'm just so blessed that I can tell people, boy, and they say, well, what are y'all doing? I said, well, we're just trying our best to serve him with all of our heart. We're just trying to worship him, trying to be and make a difference in somebody's life. That's as simple as that. There ain't no magic bullet. We just trust him and love him. We just want to worship him. And I'm telling you guys, I believe we're where we are today because we're trying to worship God and doing our best to help people. So tonight, we are blessed. And I want us to continue to be blessed even more. My prayer for you tonight and my prayer for myself and everybody on Facebook watching is that we do an inventory of ourselves as Elijah had to do. Let's take a, an inventory and look inward. See where we stand with God. And let's work on us.
work on me. You work on you. And I promise you, if we'll work on us, if we'll work on us and not our brother or our sister, now I know we're our brother's keeper, I get it. But if we'll start with us, and we'll build our relationship on a solid foundation, and we'll look unto God, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we'll trust Him with our life, trust Him with everything that we are, I promise you, we won't be able to build and add on to this church fast enough for the growth that we'll experience with people running to come to these altars to give their heart to Him. I promise you, the outpouring of God's blessings and the supernatural will be greater and faster than we can write them down. I promise you. The growth that we've seen is because of our obedience to God and our worship to Him. Can you imagine what would happen if we focused just a little bit more, if we turned our hearts inward just a little bit more, how much more would we see? So I want to invite you to just pray with me tonight.